Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Dr. Lonnie Shipman will wrap up his look at the coming temple of God, and then a little later, Josh Davis and Micah Van Hus will get us ready for Father's Day. Friends, would you consider giving $90 in recognition of our 90th anniversary? Like all gifts given right now, your support will be doubled, and it'll go toward meeting the $1 million match we have going on right now. 1-800-652-1144 is the number to call and show your support. You can also be part of the match by giving on our website, supportswrc.com. That's supportswrc.com. Thank you. Thank you for your support of Watchmen on the Wall and Southwest Radio Ministries. Time to go into the studio and join Dr. Lonnie Shipman for part two of his look at the coming temple of God. We are back with Dr. Lonnie Shipman. He has written an excellent book titled Treasure and the Coming Temple of God. There is so much involved, so many key issues that a lot of people just gloss over. And let's face it, these are things that are in the Word of God. And all Scripture, including Ezekiel 40 through 48, is given by inspiration of God. So I would really suggest this book. It's titled Treasure and the Coming Temple of God. And Dr. Lonnie Shipman is a good example of what our daily radio program is all about. We want to equip you. We are an educational ministry. We want to give you a lot of information that you can stand strong, that you could debate with somebody. We know there are so many different and I think weird and aberrant views today. You need something that will equip you and train you, and that's what we're trying to do. So there are other good ministries out there. I praise the Lord for that, but we are second to none. And I believe that. We want to equip the saints, inspire you, challenge you, and sometimes make you shout, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You know, learning the Bible, and especially what the Bible says about the end times, is really important, especially in these last days of confusion and national chaos. Lonnie, thank you so much for being back with us. We've got a lot more to talk about. So God bless you, brother, and thank you for being with us again. It's such a blessing to be here again. God bless you all. I heard you play the piano recently at one of our conferences in Wichita, Kansas. You are amazing. I I would consider you a world-class pianist, and I know something about music. So did you want to say anything about your piano, about music, about teaching, about Bible prophecy? I know we've spoken about that in private. (laughs) It's a little bit unusual. My mother was head of piano at the Baptist University. My father was a pastor all my life. And then I was trained as a concert pianist as a young age. I started piano at four. I was doing collegiate-level piano in third grade when I was nine. I was winning first place in international competitions at 13 and won six in a row. And then started traveling internationally doing mm-hmm. classical piano. Then was called to preach, which I thought was very strange. I couldn't understand what was called to preach. So I thought, how can I use piano for God? So after preaching for many years, I started then using also piano, taking classical show pieces, actually, and that they use here in the big competitions in piano in America. 
that in Europe they know the classical show pieces. In America they may not know them, but in Europe they do. And, and then, but they don't know the hymns in Europe. Yeah. In America they know the hymns. So I combine the classical pieces with hymns and tell the story of the hymns and draw people in to hear the gospel. And I've been able to preach in 27 countries and 48 states now, wow. really to about 10 million people through many years of doing this. It's been a real blessing. Well, I've known you for many, many years because we're both members of the Pre-Trib Research Center, and we've been involved in that. So I think it's a a wonderful blessing how your books are coming out and how we are working together. So let's get back to the temple. Now, what about moving the Dome of the Rock or the Al-Aqsa Mosque to make room for the temple? Well, I believe personally the temple will stand in the location of the Old Old Testament temple, which was at the Dome of the Rock. So whether it's the Holy Holies or the altar is the the rock itself, it's going to be one of those locations where that platform is. So they have to move the Dome of the Rock. Hmm. And probably also move the Alaska Mosque, too. I think all the air will be cleared, but there is a profane area somewhere, maybe on the other side. Part of the area has become a Muslim school. The Bible says there will be a profane area off to the side somewhere, but the main location will be all Jewish. Now, how will they move the Dome of the Rock? I've asked many Jewish leaders myself, some of the rabbis there, and they all say, well, the Bible explains it all. It's going to be with an earthquake. <laughs> and the Bible does talk about an earthquake. Mm-hmm. But we know that always before, when they've had earthquakes or something, any kind of destruction, they just build everything back again. So why wouldn't they build it back again? Mm-hmm. I believe it's two events that happen. Because we know that the Bible says there'll be a rapture coming to mm-hmm. save the heaven. Then there's going to be a series of events the Bible describes in the Old Testament as birth pains. There's altogether nine birth pains. We've already had world wars. We've had Jerusalem and Jewish control. And then we've had uh, Israel as a nation reestablished. So those are the first three. The fourth birth pain is the Russian invasion of Israel, Mm. which I believe happens right after the rapture. As a result of this, God will so so decimate the armies of those invading countries coming to Israel. They can never again raise an army to attack Israel which will include Persia, Russia, many other Arab nations joining, and part of black Africa. Several nations join, and they come together to attack Israel. And when they're decimated then by the Lord in the Russian base of Israel, about this time, the ten-nation empire arises, and the Antichrist rises out of that and takes power. And when he does, he can say, I can guarantee now the peace, because there's nobody left to oppose Israel. Right. So then he signs this peace covenant. Then, And by the result of this, at about the same time happens this earthquake. Now there's no armies left to it fight. So then they can now then build the temple. Wow. They have the ability to do it because of the result of the Russian invasion and the earthquakes. Wow. I, I never heard it quite put that way. I've often wondered, but that, that really makes sense when when all of that happens, the movement of God, the evident power of God descending on Israel, the defeat of the enemy. So the problem that we thought would be there is no longer there, and the door would be open. And, of course, God could do things like that. Right. And so the Antichrist will will guarantee peace because there's no one left to oppose him. And then he will rise, and at first he'll appear to be alluring and the most amazing personality, and all the world will wonder after him and take over and become this world leader, and later be revealed as an evil, anti-God, anti-Christ personality later in the middle of the tribulation. 
There's another issue, too, and I think it's very important. What about the Dead Sea Scrolls? How are they involved? Dead Sea Scrolls, of course, were found in altogether 11 caves. Book of Isaiah especially, the largest number of manuscripts found. But the most interesting for our discussion here is, too, in Cave 3, they found the Copper Scroll, which some people believe describes locations of the ashes, the red heifer, and the Ark of the Covenant. I deal with that also in the book. I do not believe it deals with the Ark of the Covenant or the ashes, the red heifer, except possibly in one location that's now destroyed. We even go into detail about it, but I'm really not convinced they were described in the Copper Scroll, which really this treasure from the temple about the time of Jesus, when the people were fleeing from the Romans, and they hid these caches of treasure, about 200 tons of gold and silver hidden away throughout Israel and even Damascus. Hmm. Then we know also Cave 11, the last scroll they ever found, they found a few years later than the other groups, Cave 11, the kind of what's called the Temple Scroll. Adel Gadin wrote a book about this, the great archaeologist, who was not a believer, but he did read the Bible, and he said, you, when you go to do archaeology study, the way he found Hazor, he said, you go with a Bible in one hand and a spade in the other. Mm. And that's how he found the gates and things there in Hazor. Anyway, Gadil Gadin wrote the book, the Temple Scroll book, and that book describes about a future millennial temple, which we know is really uh, the, uh, the idea of Ezekiel 40 to 48. But this scroll is slightly different. It describes combinations of Herod's temple and the Ezekiel temple. I believe this is going to be similar to the temple they'll use of the tribulation. And they already have the floor plans for this. They had the floor plans already for that and published them in 1992 when I first was there. What is different about the second future temple? Different and perhaps unique and perhaps amazing. Okay, the first temple that we've had in Jesus' time, it's similar to Solomon's, but then the Temple of the Tribulation will be similar-sized building, but the courtyards around it will be a sort of rectangular area, will be a, basically a huge square, but about the same size as the temple platform, but in a square, not a rectangle. In the millennium, though, the temple is much, much larger. Right now, the temple platform covers 37 acres. In the millennium, it will cover 870 acres. Mm. It's one and a half miles long on each side of the building, much larger than it is now. Well, friends, we're visiting with Dr. Lonnie Shipman. He is the author of Treasure and the Coming Temple of God. Here are the titles of some of the chapters. Are We Living in the Last Days? The Mysterious Ashes of the Red Heifer? What Happened to the Ark of the Covenant? the Tribulation Temple, and many, many other chapters that will open your eyes and fuel your soul. Our toll-free number, 1-800-652-1144. Lonnie, let's talk about the characteristics of the future millennium or kingdom of Christ, and how does all this fit with your interest in, in the Jewish temple? Well, we know that the Bible tells us there's a future time when Jesus reigns on earth as King of kings and the Lord of lords for a thousand years, literally God in our presence. And so they'll have the rebuilt temple then in Jerusalem, but many other things happen. The Bible tells us about blessings of the millennium in Ezekiel 56, and gives us about 15 blessings there. There's also topographical changes of the city and the nation of Israel, as well as many other things, such as the Dead Sea comes back to life. The Bible says there will be, first of all, a, a spring that will burst forth 
this new mountain where the temple will be, and it will flow down toward the Dead Sea itself and the other direction to the Mediterranean Sea, starting as a spring but becomes a river flowing from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Dead Sea, and they'll do shipping again, and people can take a ship and also bring goods back and forth, but only the upper half of the Dead Sea comes back to life. They've already separated into two separate groups now, and the upper half comes back to life. Also, the Nile River is stopped. Maybe the Nile channel has changed. We don't really know for sure. But somehow the Bible says the Nile River is stopped, Isaiah 11 and also Isaiah 19. There's new boundaries for Israel, which are much larger, and they'll be separated by the tribal boundaries, but in, in those are a series of, of tribal areas. And the center part is for the Lord and for the priests, where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is given a new name. There's a new political system of theocracy, but it's really a monarchy and theocracy combined, right. where Jesus rules on earth. And so it's bodily a monarchy, but then spiritually a theocracy, where it's God ruling, and they will rule and reign with Christ. The temple itself has 389 throne rooms built into it. And so those people will really rule and reign with the Lord again. There'll be a new climate, and all the world will have basically a new paradise, except for Egypt. She goes through an extra 40 years of being a desert, and then she also becomes a paradise. Uh, she goes through an extra curse of time for her treatment of Israel years ago. But then all the world will turn to a paradise, and then there'll be a constant temperature, a beautiful day and beautiful evening, a new increased fertility and productivity of all plant life, all animal life. There's an appearance of physical disease and deformity. No one will be mentally deficient anymore. Everybody will have a perfect mind and perfect body, longevity of life. Everyone will live normally to a thousand years. If you die less than a hundred years, you'll be like a baby dying. There'll be no barrier of language. We'll all speak one language in the millennium. Peace in the animal kingdom, people have heard about, where it talks about the lion laying down with the lamb. It really means the wolf laying down with the lamb. So instead of the, the lamb being in the wolf, the lamb is beside the wolf. <laughs> and then, of course, God builds the temple and sacrifices renewed. It's just a whole new world when the Lord is there reigning on earth in, in our presence. Well, what do you think is the clue to the timing of the rapture and tribulation from the rebuilding of the temple? What do we need to know about that to maybe help us fit it sequentially, chronologically, in the scheme of end-time events? Well, that's the whole reason I got so excited about preaching about this, <laughs> is it points to the soon return of the Lord Jesus. Now, how does it do that? It's what you're really asking. Well, we know that today we can build modern skyscrapers in large cities like New York or Dallas, Texas, where I come from. We build skyscrapers just in six months, huge buildings. So if they got serious about this temple, I don't think it would take them years and years. I don't know how long exactly, but I think they could build the temple rather quickly. Once any barriers are removed, you see, once they get they can do it freely, they can erect the temple quickly. So when is the temple built? Well, the temple could be built now, which it's trying to do, or it could be built after the rapture, or even right before it's desecrated and destroyed. Mm. But I believe it's already in operation for a while. So I actually personally believe it could be built now, or right after the rapture, more likely, probably at the Russian invasion of Israel and the earthquake time I talked about. And then it will stand for about three and a half years with continual sacrifices. But if they're trying to build the temple now, gathering the priests, searching for the ark, trying to find the ashes of the red heifer, all these show this could happen not only in our lifetime, 
It could happen not only in this decade, it might happen in this year. It might happen very soon. We don't know when. We're not trying to date set. But we're living literally in the last day. Right. We know before this, the Antichrist comes and desecrates the temple, the rapture has to come first when he takes the saved to heaven. And that's an unknown time. It's never pointed out with signs. It can happen literally at any moment. Right. So the Lord is coming soon. How often we need to tell people to be ready for the Lord because he may come literally at any moment. Yes, imminence, I think, is a very important feature of pre-trib rapture. I think all of the other views, you can kind of count off days and months, but I don't see that in the Scripture. I know there are different views regarding the scheduling of the rapture, and I all think they're wrong. Some of them are very elaborate, and I really think that's part of the weakness. They get so caught up in all of the details, and I, I love the pre-trib rapture. It's very... Uh, comforting. It really moves me to be urgent in my radio programs, in my pastorate, in my evangelism, because we're not looking for the Antichrist. We're not looking for the revived Roman Empire or maybe an Islamic Antichrist or whatever. We're looking for Jesus. So I, I think what you're saying about the scheduling is very, very important. But I wanted to ask you, what about today? What about prayer on the Temple Mount? I, I'm sure many of the rabbis are earnestly praying to the Lord. So is that organized, or what's, what's happening on the Temple Mount and thereabouts? The Jews are very serious about trying to start prayer again, and their new defense minister, David Ben-Gavir, is trying to legalize or make an open prayer for the Jewish people. The Arabs, though, have been more, especially the Islamic Arabs, have become more insistent that they not only do not want prayer on the Temple Mount, but the Jews which is the Jewish holy site, the holiest of all the sites for the Jews. It's only supposed to be the third holiest for the Islamic people, but the holiest for the Jews. But they not only don't want prayer, they don't really want the Jewish presence. So every time any prime minister even goes up on the Jewish site, they threaten literally World War Three. It's unbelievable. Ben-Gavir went up January 3rd and just walked around 13 minutes, did not pray, did not go near either one of the Islamic buildings, the Dome of the Rock, or the Alaska Mosque. And then he immediately blasted him, saying he was up there trying to start a riot and trying right. to storm these things and destroy the buildings. And He didn't do any of that. He did make a short statement saying, more or less, we're not going away. Wake up. We're here to stay. It basically is what he was saying in his statement. Very short little statement. But they, the Arabs got very upset about it, the Islamic Arabs which is really unreasonable. Meanwhile, I was responded to, of all people, Ted Cruz. He said, this is not be a problem for anyone to go up and pray on the Temple Mountain, especially the Jewish people, because it's oh. their most holy site. Right. And if for just human rights, everyone should be able to just walk up there and look and pray. So it should be freedom, at least for that. And of course, it's in control of the Jewish people since 1967. They're allowing the Arabs to continue to control the center section through Jordan, but really it's under the auspices of the Jewish people as a result of the 67 war. And I really believe prayer should be allowed. It should not be a problem. I really know they want to eventually have the temple there, but that will not happen until some other future, more major change happens. Lonnie, I really appreciate the book and really appreciate these questions and the discussion we've been having. Well, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your ministry. I hope everyone is blessed for reading the book. Today, we are debuting Dr. Lonnie Shipman's brand new book, 
Treasure and the Coming Temple of God. This book explores the quest for the lost ark in 25 locations in 10 countries, including the floor plans and location of the Tribulation Temple, the vast difference with the Millennial Temple, insight into the relevance of Israel, and astounding features of the future kingdom. Join the search for the ark the mysterious ashes of the red heifer, and see how the millennial temple will be rebuilt by God himself with all the world assisting him. Order your copy of Treasure and the Coming Temple of God when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order Treasure and the Coming Temple of God at our website, swrc. With Father's Day coming up this Sunday, staff evangelist Josh Davis and Marginal Mysteries host Micah Van Huss are here to share their thoughts on the characteristics of a good, godly father. We have Father's Day coming up shortly, and I'm in the studio here with my friend Josh Davis as we get ready to celebrate Father's Day, and I wanted to share a couple of verses with you folks and talk a little bit about it. Luke chapter 11, verses 11, 12, and 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. So I have currently two children. Dixie is six and Gunner is three. And then my wife Annie and I were having our third child, a daughter, here in just about a month and a half. I love being a father. I know Josh enjoys being a father as well. On Father's Day, my son, just about every morning, he'll ask for apple juice. Apple juice is what he wants. And scripture says, you know, a good father will do good unto his children and God will do the same to you. I think one of the main reasons our country has gone downhill so quickly is because of lack of fathers in the home, and we are seeing the repercussions of that. What are your thoughts, Josh? Well, I agree with you. What you're saying 100%, Micah, that a lot of the evils that we're seeing in America is due specifically to fatherlessness. And Jesus came with a message when his disciples asked him, how do we pray? Jesus' answer was, just pray to God and say, our Father, which art in heaven, and for the very first time in Scripture, we see Jesus referring to God as the Father. Someone had the audacity to refer to God as Father. And Jesus is speaking about this intimate relationship that we can have with the Father. And even as Christian fathers, we can get so busy at times that we abdicate our responsibility as men of God, husbands to our wives, and fathers to our children. And I don't want to put that off onto the culture to raise my kids. I want to be proactive in their life to influence them. Jesus walked closely with the Heavenly Father and showed us there is a way that we can have intimacy with the Father in heaven. And he reflected that to his disciples. You get later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians talks about our spirit is crying within us, Abba, Father, that's a reference to the close name of God that some would say Papa or Daddy, that close intimate word that we would share with someone that we love. 
And so that's such an encouragement to me to know that we have an example from our Heavenly Father to show us we can have an intimate relationship with Him. And as earthly fathers, we can mirror that example to our kids. And I think it comes with a a great responsibility. Fatherhood is a responsibility. Being the man of the house is a great responsibility that we carry. I see that and I take that wholeheartedly. I don't want to abdicate my responsibility to the iPad or other technology or the internet to raise my kids. I want to be active in their life, teaching them about the Lord, helping to encourage them. God's blessed my wife and I with two kids, Allison, who's 10, and Christian, who's 7. I thank God for them, and I'm grateful to be called their dad. Michael, what do you think about the responsibilities of fatherhood? It's paramount. Secondary to raising your children to love God, taking care of them is a man's responsibility. And I'm reminded of some relationships I've had in the past and and people who will talk bad about different people. Look, every person on this planet has good qualities and bad qualities. Most all of them have some good qualities. But there's nothing more important other than raising his children to love God that a man can do than to work and provide for his family. I know some men, they're, they're rough. They've got this problem or that problem, but I've seen some of them go home and sit down on their porch and hold their child after a very long day's worth of work. So take this Father's Day, just take a moment to step back, and if you have an issue with somebody in your family who's a father or somebody you know who's a father, take a step back and ask yourself, are they doing what they need to be doing? Are they taking care of their family? Because Other than uh, your children's spiritual health and your wife's spiritual health, there's nothing more important a father can do than to work hard to provide for his family. And there's so many that are simply not doing that today. My prayer is that we would see a, a generation of men grow up who are strong in the Lord and strong in their faith and build that strong family. Men, I think the responsibility falls on our shoulders to be the leader of the home. We think that comes with a great privilege, and it does, but... It's more of that weight of responsibility. We go forward with our families, bringing them before the Lord, showing them an example. And two, we can't put too much pressure on ourselves because none of us are perfect. The only perfect man who ever lived is Jesus. And none of us will have a perfect father. None of us will be a perfect father. But we can follow closely in the Lord's footsteps. You got any closing thoughts, Micah? Our number one responsibility is to raise children who love God over raising children who are good kids. Do not focus as much on raising your kids to be good kids and focus more on raising them to be kids that love God. And I think everything else will fall into place. Dr. Lonnie Shipman's brand new book, Treasure and the Coming Temple of God, is now available. This book explores the quest for the lost ark in 25 locations across 10 countries, including the floor plans and location of the Tribulation Temple, the vast difference with the Millennial Temple, insight into the relevance of Israel, and astounding features of the future kingdom. Join the search for the ark, the mysterious ashes of the red heifer, and see how the Millennial Temple will be rebuilt by God himself with all the world assisting him. Order your copy of Treasure and the Coming Temple of God today. Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order Treasure and the Coming Temple of God at our website, swrc.com. 
Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Head into the weekend, my friends, with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.